How can we alleviate stress and anxiety? What treatment options are available? How can we remove the stigma around mental illness? All that and more on this month's episode of The Healthiest You. Hi, it's Mike and Steph from B104. Today we're discussing mental health. Now, this is a topic that, thankfully, more people are talking about and recognizing that mental health is something many of us struggle with, including kids, teens, and adults. How do you take care of your mental health? I don't know about you, Steph. I like to eat. But I (laughs) use that excuse for everything. So, (laughs) And I've found, like, especially in the last, uh, maybe last year or so, I've been taking a lot of walks. So any opportunity I get to kind of get out there and, and take a walk, that's certainly been helping me out a lot. Yeah, absolutely. A more, on a more serious note, exercising definitely gets me back in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. We have Dr. Courtney Shalou, Medical Director with LVPG Adult and Pediatric Psychiatry Muhlenberg with us today to discuss mental health. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thank you for being here. Hey, first off, I'll start by asking... What do you like to do to recharge and keep stress at bay? I think I can echo what you guys were mentioning. I find exercise to just be really helpful. So I I really enjoy running, which I I was never really a runner when I was young. But um, I find for my mental health, it really helps to kind of manage any anxiety or stress. And it resets me. So um, it also gets me outside. There's something special to me about being outside and in nature and sometimes socializing. I run with other people sometimes. So um, I find spending time with my family to be really helpful, just in general, being active. Why did you decide to become a psychiatrist and what drew you to this field? So I never thought I'd be a psychiatrist. I always knew I wanted to go into medicine. My father is a physician, actually, and so is my sister. So it's kind of in the family. But um, when I entered medical school, I always thought I'd either do hematology, oncology, or OBGYN. But when I started kind of rotating to the different areas of medicine, I really fell in love with psychiatry, and it really seemed to kind of fit uh, some of the things that I felt passionate about, really hearing people's stories and learning about their lives. So um after I, I kind of got a taste of it, I realized that that was the only place that was good for me. So I quickly changed course, and here I am. Now, Dr. Shalou, you know, I know you know this, but a lot of people don't realize many people have mental health issues find there's a stigma that comes along with it. Now, what can we do to help with that, to kind of erase that from everybody? I think the more we talk about these as being common problems that have um, very good solutions that they're treatable. I really think that that's kind of the first step into minimizing the stigma. I think that the pandemic has been a little helpful in that way because I feel that more people are talking about uh, mental health. I know that the pandemic had an impact on many people's mental health, even if they'd never struggled before with anxiety or depression. And they kind of came to understand um, maybe some of these things a little better. And it really seemed to enter the national conversation a little bit more. I know some prominent celebrities and, and people have talked about mental health struggles. So I think that the more we normalize it, the more the stigma will go away. So I, you know, I appreciate being here and talking with you all today about it, too, because I think that the more we talk about it, um, the more people will be able to understand that these are very treatable things. Now, you treat people of all ages, from children to seniors. Do you find that depression looks different in different age groups? Certainly. Um, so I'm a child psychiatrist, um, but I also treat adults and uh, kind of people through the lifespan. That's really my choice. I could only do uh, the younger population, but I really kind of appreciate seeing how 
these conditions develop and change over time. I think it gives me good perspective. Um, so in younger people, like children, sometimes depression can really present more as just irritability or some, sometimes parents might look at it as laziness, like they're just not motivated, they're kind of laying around a lot, they're isolating. And then um, middle age, it, it can be really variable. I, I think sometimes for... Uh, certain people, depression might look very different. So some people might not be able to sleep. Some people might sleep too much. Some people might feel very hungry. Some people might not have an appetite at all. Um, and seniors can sometimes present with memory problems. So um, severe depression in somebody that's a senior can sometimes look like mild dementia, trouble focusing, trouble concentrating, memory issues, those types of things. So it's, it is variable across the lifespan. I've read that younger and younger kids are having issues with stress, anxiety, even depression. Now, why do you think that is? I think that everything that has happened in the past year has really um, increased the risks of anxiety, depression for kids. You know, kids really are social people. And I think that that has really been a contributing cause to them becoming or developing more mental health conditions. Um the schooling disruption, I think that the unpredictability of what happened during the pandemic was really challenging and um, the lack of organized sports, you know, some of the traditional things that kids have used to cope became less available for them. And, you know, there might have been more stress in the home with families trying to navigate childcare issues or working from home or online learning. And obviously all of those things had to happen because of the pandemic. But I do think that there were consequences, especially for kids. Um, because of all of that. With that in mind, what can parents do to help their children? I think talking about these things is really important and um, allowing children to kind of see that these are think topics that can be discussed in the home, that they're not kind of things that we should never, ever talk about or mention. Um, so I think normalizing it is not just about a national conversation, but also uh, conversations within families about these being problems that sometimes people have, and there are a lot of good solutions and treatments out there for them. So I, I think that just kind of having this non-judgmental approach to mental health conditions um, can be helpful for kids if they do themselves develop something, they feel really comfortable talking to their parents or, or guardians about it. Uh, doctor, you hear a lot of buzzwords anymore, but what, uh, what is re-entry anxiety, and do you have patients who are currently dealing with it? It's something that we've really been seeing a lot more of. So uh, reentry anxiety is just kind of this post-pandemic um, anxiety about getting back out into the world. And it can really be different for different groups of people. So for kids that maybe did fully virtual learning since March of uh, 2020, you know, going back to school in person can be highly anxiety-provoking. Um, even if they kind of felt like maybe online learning was challenging in its own ways and they didn't really like it and they want to see people again, just the thought of getting back into that regular routine is stressful. And for adults, the same thing, you know, maybe they were used to working from home and not having to do presentations in front of a very large group of people. And now they have to do all that again or being in social situations, talking to people at a party. Um, those are things that we might have to start doing again. And the expectation is no longer that everyone should just stay home all the time. As the pandemic changes and people get vaccinated and things open up, you know, there's, there's a little bit more social pressure to do more things. And for some people, that, that can really cause a lot of its own anxiety about how am I going to navigate that? And, you know, maybe they have a component of social anxiety. So um, that's really something that 
we've been seeing a significant amount of. If you're worried about a loved one's mental health, what's the best way to tell them that you have concerns? I mean, like I said before, I really think that non-judgmental approach is really important. So um, kind of starting from a place of, of love for them. Um, sometimes people can be sensitive about being judged. Um, you know, if, if they are not maybe doing as well at work or they're not doing as well at home, like they're struggling to be motivated to do things, they can be really sensitive. So you want to make sure that you take this very non-judgmental approach and let them know how much you care about them. You know, for example, like I, I've noticed that you've been, you know, not really seeming yourself and I, I'm getting worried about you. Is there anything that I can do to help you or support you in any way? Um, so coming from a place of support, I think, is one of the best things that you can do. And also, um, sometimes some people are not ready for treatment. So um, just maybe allowing them to understand that you're you're there for them if, if they need anything. You would help provide them with resources or whatever they need. and um, Sometimes some people might not necessarily be open to treatment just yet, but I think sometimes planting those seeds might also be helpful for people in the future um, if they're not ready just yet. Uh, Dr. Shalou, what's the first step? Let's say I think, oh my gosh, I have anxiety. I'm feeling a little stressed. What's my first step when I start experiencing that? Well, Mike, it's really different for everybody. So you as an individual, um, you know, it's going to be different for you as compared to somebody else. So treatment for anxiety and stress is always individualized. And anxiety and stress are normal in a lot of ways. We all experience anxiety. We all experience stress. Um, and how do you manage that stress in a healthy way? So there's always the healthy coping skills and maybe the not-so-healthy coping skills. Um, so kind of how do you make sure you're utilizing those things that really do make you feel better, that make you feel rejuvenated um, at the end of the day, as opposed to some of the things that we sometimes do that make us maybe even feel worse. Um, th there are a lot of things available. You know, treatment is really multifactorial. I always kind of tell that to my patients. I am a psychiatrist, so I do prescribe medications for, for mental health conditions, but medication is only one piece of treatment. And I think that when somebody is struggling with a diagnosed mental health condition, they really need to take a multifaceted approach. So, you know, lifestyle changes really matter. I always talk to the people that I treat about lifestyle changes because those things can really affect their overall um, outcome. So things like getting good rest or trying to have a healthy sleep habit, um, that's really important. Exercise is really helpful. Uh, socializing, therapy. Um, having a healthy diet. Um, these are all things that we know are helpful. So um, what works for that person might be different than what works for somebody else. But at least letting the people know what's available and some of the things that they should consider trying, what the, what the science really supports as being helpful in the end for uh, people's mental health conditions. Or just re regular anxiety and stress. You don't have to have a diagnosed mental health condition to kind of focus on self-care and how you feel better. In the last episode, uh, Dr. Usman Shah talked about the connection between what we eat and how we feel. Do you find that someone's diet can have a significant impact on their mental health? And I, I believe you started to address that. Yes, I really believe that there's a strong component between uh, our gut health and our emotions. And I think the studies are really starting to show that. Um, 
I, I believe Dr. Shaw had even mentioned one that I, I was also aware of, kind of um, associating um, diet, specifically the Mediterranean diet, with lower rates of depression. And there is a lot of processed food and refined sugar out there. And I think that sometimes we don't always think about these things as being contributors to our mental health. But I believe very strongly that we should kind of be thoughtful about and make changes if possible, because it can overall really affect the outcome that you have in terms of, of your, your own mental well-being. Doctor, I think when a lot of people think about mental health, they automatically think about depression. But we all know there are a lot of other mental health issues out there. Do you find that some symptoms go unnoticed because of a lack of awareness? Yes. I, I can't say how much of my, I can't say enough how much of my treatment with people is about education. I have, I treat very smart people. Um, but I think sometimes people fail to recognize how much their mental health conditions affect their lives and also just learning about the mental health condition itself. So, you know, if somebody has something like ADHD or obsessive compulsive disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, how does that affect different areas of their life? And sometimes I think it's, it's really powerful for them to, to learn about that because you're right. I think that there's a lot of discussion about things like anxiety and depression, but that those are only a component of some of the other mental health conditions that people experience. You know, things like panic attacks, people are blown away that they can have so many physical symptoms and it's really more of a, a their own emotions that are getting out of control, causing these physical symptoms. The symptoms are real, but the root cause of it is not some kind of cardiac issue or, or some other problem. It's really more of, of their emotions feeling very out of control. So um, helping people understand what's going on is, is an important component in their treatment. And I think that's also, too, how therapy can be so powerful for people is because therapy is a place where you can really learn about your own mental health and how these conditions affect your life. Very good. What are the signs that someone should seek professional help? So we always kind of think about um, the delineation between what's kind of, you know, normal everyday type of uh, symptoms versus the, the more clinical. And it's really where people's functioning gets impaired. So, you know, if you get a little bit nervous before you have to give a presentation or before um, you go out and do something, that's, that's one thing. But to essentially not be able to function or, or just to skip it all together or where you stop being able to take care of yourself, things like um, showering, brushing your teeth, taking care of your home, attending work or school, um, or essentially you just can't muster up the energy to do what needs to get done. So that, that functional Im impact is really where we start to think of it being um, a clinical diagnosis. And that's really when you should seek professional help. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, to the point where it's, it's severely affecting your life. But you notice that um, these conditions are holding you back from the things that you like to do. So, you know, if somebody has anxiety and they really would love to join a, a group or do something, um, but they're not able to because of their anxiety. I think that that is kind of uh, telling that maybe that they should be looking at other other means to um, to manage that because there's a lot of great treatments out there. Now, doctor, I know for me, if I hurt my finger, my eye, whatever, I have cough. I cough, I just stay away from everybody else. But I've heard that you can visit your primary care provider for help with mental health. Is that true? Absolutely. Uh, our primary care physicians are very well-versed in treating mental health conditions, and they treat this very commonly. So 
um, primary care physicians, pediatricians, uh, internal medicine doctors, family doctors. This is a great place to start because they also can help educate people and provide them with local resources. And a lot of people just know and trust their family doctor because they've treated them for an eye problem or a finger problem or, or whatever it is. So um, these things, I, I think, um, they're not just treated by a psychiatrist or, or a therapist, but um, a family doctor is a great place to start. What treatment options are available for people with anxiety or depression? There are a lot available. So, you know, it, we talk about different levels of care in psychiatry. So obviously there's, a, there's the um, inpatient unit in the hospital for people, you know, very severe conditions. We also have a step-down program. It's called a partial hospitalization. This is where people um, attend groups during the day, usually from about 9 to 3. Um, they are offered both virtually and um, in person now during the pandemic. Um, and then they go home at night. So essentially, it's just a very intensive program. They also have medical providers at those programs. Um, it's voluntary, so people can stay, you know, several weeks if they, if they need to, but it's where they can kind of get uh, more aggressive treatment. We have therapy available. Um, we have medical providers. So, um, and there's also different types of therapy for anxiety and depression. So sometimes people think of just one type of therapy, but there's actually a variety of therapies. So if somebody has tried therapy in the past and it hasn't been as helpful, there are other types of therapy that can be tried. So um, again, these are these are educational components where people need to kind of understand uh, what's out there and what's available to them. What is transcranial magnetic stimulation and how does it work? And did I pronounce that long list of words correctly? <laughs> yes. So uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation is a treatment that we offer here at the network. We've been doing it um, about two years now here. So this is um, a treatment for what we call treatment-resistant depression. So that term is kind of a wordy term, but essentially it just means that people have tried other things for their depression and they have not worked. So they might have tried multiple medications, they tried therapy, and they're still not feeling good. Um, so uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation is a form of uh, brain stimulation. So you're stimulating the brain um, in the area associated with depression. And um, our results are really good. So uh, TMS for short, um, that stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation, um, is really well tolerated. So most people don't have side effects. Uh, so it's a really good option, I think, for people that have tried and failed other things and maybe have had a lot of side effects from medications. And um, a lot of people just don't know about it. I think sometimes people don't understand all the treatments that are available. And maybe if medications have not worked for them, something like TMS would be really helpful for them and help them get uh, better control of their symptoms. Um, it, so how it works, how it stimulates the brain is it uses magnetic waves similar to what's used in an MRI machine to stimulate the area of the brain associated with depression. How do you determine what treatment option is the best for somebody? It's, it's a really a conversation that you have to have with the individual. So, you know, people are influenced by maybe what they've tried before, what their loved ones have tried, what they're open to trying. So um, I think it's a discussion that a medical provider um, has with a person about what they want. So what do they want out of treatment? How aggressive should we be? How bad are their symptoms? Obviously, when symptoms are more severe, we need to be a little bit more aggressive in our treatment. So you might not 
you shouldn't necessarily just do lifestyle changes, like just change the diet or just exercise if somebody is very severely depressed. That might not be enough for that person. Um, and I think what they feel comfortable doing. So, you know, some people might not feel comfortable with making lifestyle changes yet with exercise or they have physical limitations. That's not an option for them. You know, how, how do we kind of look at maybe some other things? Is meditation an option or, you know, what, what, what can you do? What works best for you? So um, I think it's just based more on the severity of symptoms and also what they would like to try. Well, Dr. Shalou, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this important topic. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about treatment options for mental health issues, visit lvhn.org slash behavioral health. And remember, be safe, be smart, be the healthiest you.